This is Jeremy Renta. And this is Amy Solara. And you have discovered Mantra and Magic. A podcast where Eastern philosophy meets Western magical practice. everybody. Um, Today we've got a really super special podcast for you. We kept it kind of secret on who's going to be on and I am so beyond thrilled to have him as a guest. I got to meet him in person at a really fun yoga festival and watch him on stage just deliver this beautiful message of love and light and healing with his words. Um, He is none other than Jay Brave, the artist who started the luminaries, if you've heard of them, if you haven't. I don't know what rock you've been sleeping under, but uh, anyone in the yoga community has. And a lot of you I know are from that because you've mentioned it, you brought it up when you reached out to either Jay or I that you practice yoga and you practice meditation and that's why you're here listening to this is because we talk about mantras and magic and the weaving together of the two and um, Jay Brave is a musician and songwriter and creator and DJ who does all of the above in a way that is intentional and wants to uplift and make this world a better place through the art that he serves it. Um, So welcome to the show Jay Brave. Thank you so much for having me, super honored to be here, and just uh, thank you so much for holding space for all of us. You're so, so welcome. So, uh, I like, out of all the things that stood out to me, I saw pyramids in Egypt and was like, hmm, what is that? How did, it's a good place to start. Yeah, <laughs> what made you want to go first off? Because it said you went on a spiritual journey out there, like a pilgrimage. What inspired you? going from this kid in inner city LA to all the way across the world. I was just going to say the same thing Jeremy said. It's a great place to start because I feel like that was the catalyst for my spiritual evolution, that, that particular trip. And oftentimes in life, we are feeling into and calling out for a rite of passage. You know, when we're young in our adolescence, I went when I was 21. And that was a really profound time for me. Um, I mean, for all of us, when we turn 21, it's a very like polarizing period. You know, we think, oh, this is how I can go party. I can go to the club. But for me, I feel like I was seeking something deeper in my life. I had lost my father when I was 11 years old. And fortunately, um, you know, he went, was in the Air Force and worked for Western Airlines, which became Delta. So he retired, you know, fixing airplanes and radios. So when we were kids, we used to have uh, some buddy passes. So I didn't have a lot of money. I, I flew standby and waited on like for the seventh plane to come or whatever it was to take a trip with my little brother to Egypt. And that was such a profound experience to be there in July of 2001, two months before 9-11. We were young and ambitious, and we went at a time where it was probably 115 degrees in Cairo. That wasn't probably the best time of season to go. (laughs) Nevertheless, we kind of entered into a magical portal for our journey together. That's so beautiful. I love that you went with him. Well, were you already practicing meditation and doing some of these tools before you went, or was that the complete catalyst? That was honestly, I was exploring, like reading about things in context of mantra and even, you know, exploring my spiritual beliefs. I, my dad, you know, raised me as a Jehovah's Witness when I was a kid. And so that was a very different perspective than I have now. But I really honor the fact that there was some moral compass given to me from my dad. 
And then when he passed when I was 11, I, I feel like I let go of that slowly and was starting to explore new ways of being and new ways of understanding what God even was. And so going into Egypt, uh, we were just like, let's go to Africa. You know, like where else would we go to the, the pyramids of Egypt? You know, we just had this really crazy idea to go out there. We were there for about two weeks. We were in um, Sharm Ashe, we were in Dahab, mm. we were in Alexandria, and of course, um, the Giza Plateau to experience the pyramids. And um, such a beautiful story, but I'll say in short, when I got to the pyramids themselves, I just fell to my knees. Like it was such a profound <laughs> moment of like awe and inspiration and humility. And I feel like that was the first time in my life that I ever felt the omnipresence of God as something not only outside of me, like I was told as a kid, God's out there, he's a person and this and that, but I felt the omnipresence of the divine inside of me as well. So it's like that was more than just an intellectual understanding. It was also an external and internal experience in one for me to have this beautiful connection with source. I love that. That's totally like what comes through in a lot of your words, that unity consciousness. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like when I came back from that trip, I started to have visions of the idea of what luminaries was, even like had a vision of the name come through in that time period. And I feel like I was seeking out the members of the collective and the crew before I even knew them because I gave, I got these downloads while I was in Egypt and it was a really profound kind of experience. And of course, a lot of people know through my music that I spread that unity consciousness and love and just try to be a representation of diversity through my music. So good. Well, so you Jared. also have, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask you have a, you have a background in uh, working with inner city youth and, uh, and I guess at-risk teens, um, was that something that you felt uh, calling for at a young age or is that something that kind of came about once you got into your 20s to, to kind of study and to go into that, that field? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, about a year and a half or so later when I got back from that trip, I mean, I kind of grew up as not risk youth. You know, I'm one of 10 kids. My father had 10 kids. My mom had seven of them. I'm the second youngest. And uh, I grew up in the 80s in Inglewood. All my brothers all either gangbanged sold drugs or b-boy so i grew up in like a house where at the time my mother and father already broke up my mom was working like a graveyard shift to make ends meet like late at night and there were many times where like the house was left to my brothers to just like do whatever they please and it kind of got to the point where um our house became the haven for all the neighborhood kids to party and break dance and like use drugs and all the way to the point where my house got raided by the police and it was a very traumatic experience to have my house raided by like a SWAT team of police with drones, with guns drawn and a helicopter over our house and go through that experience. But oftentimes like in life, you know, a difficult situation will become the catalyst for something profound. And that actually led my mother to move out of the hood and into a more safer environment, let's say in context of being in the suburbs. Um, but you know, we were still very poor and I started to face a whole different slew of problems in my life, which included uh, identity issues, like being a mixed kid, like racial issues with other kids that weren't, you know, that weren't looking like me. Um, a lot of self-doubt and self-esteem stuff came up. And I feel like as I worked through that and got older, moving fast forward past the Egypt trip, um, I got introduced to social services through a friend who was in the field. And he was like, yo, we would love to have you uh, interview at this spot because he was leaving his position to go into another agency and he recommended me to fill his shoes. I had no prior experience other than my life experience and I found out very quickly that so many young people had stories like me or a lot worse that were living in the streets in and out of foster care in and out of 
um, incarcerated facilities, young men and women that were prostituting on the streets, um, living in abandoned buildings, like going through gang violence, so many crazy stories that I feel I was drawn to uh, on the spiritual level to do my own healing, then also offer some space of building rapport with the young people as well. So it was very impactful for me in my healing path to be in service to them. That's beautiful. That's, yeah, it's so, it's mind boggling to me um, how so many people, if they were just willing to share their stories of what they've experienced, would be able to empower other people of like the same types of situations and places. and. I feel like so many of those kids that you served because you experienced it and you were willing to go back and work with them, you probably made a much bigger difference than some person who is not from their community, who is not in a place where they could understand their situation would be, even though their heart is in the right place. Sure. Yeah. They were the, the mirror for me and vice versa. And I feel um, I'm a big catalyst for the idea that what was once our shame can now become the platform from which we speak upon. And so all the things I've shared with you once were like my greatest shame, like being a Jehovah's Witness as a kid and not celebrating holidays. And uh, my house, you know, at the time was going through all this drama about the police. And then, you know, my, my father passed, my mother started uh, drinking, my brother started using drugs. And there was a lot of turmoil and I would never share these things publicly or di didn't know how, how to share them with my peers because I didn't have the tools yet. So I'm a firm believer, especially as an artist, when we allow ourselves to feel empowered by the process, knowing that we create our reality and everything we go through is the avenue for teaching and sharing, we create the space of vulnerability for others to feel that they can be authentic to what they're going through. And of course, working with those young people was such a powerful time because like they were mirroring to me so many difficult things in society that most people don't get to see. And I feel we're all on that path of like, how vulnerable can we be? Like no matter what form of expression, whether it's music or this podcast, or even teachers with yoga, all the things we do, like can we show up in our full authenticity and give permission to others to do the same? And there's so much healing there. So I just do my best to show up and be raw as fuck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, like stepping into being an artist. Were you already writing during that period? Yeah, I feel like going back to my dad, like, again, like, you know, at first it's a traumatic thing, but like, he was really the catalyst for me to write. Like, to be honest, the first things I ever wrote when I was like 14 was just me expressing my feelings on paper before I even knew how to say it in front of a crowd. Like, the, the, my notepads in class, you know, and I was supposed to be taking notes were filled up with poems. And a lot of the poems, as I look back at those writings, were just me expressing my feelings of like depression and going through heartache. And so I feel like it was just coping for me. I didn't necessarily have these big visions of becoming anything or anyone specifically, but I feel like allowing myself to be vulnerable on the paper was really healing for me at the time. Yeah, it's interesting uh, with, you know, uh, we always kind of look to the outside to have uh, external ju uh, justification for things, it seems like. So when it comes to just being able to speak your truth and to be honest with yourself, like naming your experience is such a powerful thing. Um, and it's, it's weird to me how it is that we, why it is that we feel embarrassed about stuff. Like I grew up in the Southeast, again, uh, uh, Amy and I have both kind of dealt with some, some trauma when it comes to spirituality. And I think most people actually have, it's kind of become something that's not as much strengthening. People are, are starting to kind of reclaim their power in it. Um, 
but being being able to kind of voice what it is that you feel uh, I guess that's the kind of the reason why people say you don't talk about politics or religion and in, 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 uh, polite company you know it's it's something that's kind of hard for other people to accept as well it's because it's just it's just like music or it's just like an art piece you know something grabs you you don't you might not have words for it you can't really explain what it is it's just I'm having an emotional experience right now looking at this painting of a squirrel, you know, whatever the thing is. So it's, I think it's very important to actually name that and to put it out there and then to not really, not really expect a response back or to, and, or to be able to accept the response if someone else gives it, if as an artist, or if you're just kind of voicing your opinion. So um, I, did it take you a while to get to the point where you could express yourself and not kind of hold yourself back like when you first started performing live in front of people was it really hard and kind of difficult for you oh, oh sure i mean i think yeah. most artists go through that learning curve of finding to accept themselves and accept their voice for me i used to tell myself all the time my voice is terrible like the voice in my <laughs> would tell myself you suck you shouldn't be on stage who are you to be up there like um you're you're a terrible rapper i have this you know, broken record in my head that was very negative and um non-affirming about myself and i feel like in us overcoming that path and those, to me, the ego mind, you can say, but to me, I, I don't choose a philosophy that the ego is my enemy or to kill the ego per se. Cause like, you know, we're talking about mantra and words and words having power. I think my philosophy is that as human beings, we chose to have the ego mind in order to have an inner obstacle to overcome, to reveal our greatness. Cause all of our challenges that we're creating and attracting in our lives are actually revealing our greatness inside of us. So when, when we flip the narrative that, either whether it's shame or we're having a financial issue or relationship issue, we make that good or bad or right or wrong. Like, especially when we label things wrong or bad, then we create resistance around it. But I've learned in my practice as an artist, as a person, as a philosopher, that don't label what I feel, just acknowledge what I feel. I don't have to identify with what I feel because if I identify, it's like your ID, I become that emotion if it's shame or anger. But if I acknowledge what I'm feeling, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna sit with it and acknowledge that you're here and invite them in as my teacher. Like Rumi said, it's a guest house, you know, invite all your emotions as your teachers and sit with them and like learn from them. So for me, like the practice is always catching myself from labeling something. That's why even when Amy was like, hey, what do you wanna call yourself? MC, musician, rapper? I'm like, I trust your intuition. I, I try not to even label myself. I just wanna be the empty vessel and the blank canvas for allow the universe to move through me. But a lot of the practice to answer your question, Jeremy, is this about accepting what is and realizing it's coming to teach us something. It's not coming to harm us. No matter what difficult emotion or experience, there's always some blessing in disguise wanting to reveal itself. But it does take time to be with it and learn to cultivate that resiliency around it. I love right, that yeah, so I'm, much. Yeah, you wanna go ahead, Amy? I don't know if you had something to say. No, I, I was just like <laughs> affirming how how like spot on that is to everything we've been talking about, about like making friends with the ego, about accepting the emotions exactly where they are, especially in this cancer season. We've got like one day left until Leo. And we're we've got all the feels, like two new moons in cancer, holy cow. And if we aren't able to make friends with them, like you said, like Rumi said, just invite them in, have some dinner. <laughs> figure out what's going on and then say, okay, now it's, it's time for you to go home, <laughs> um, get to experience that flow. And, um, as a musician, I think you cultivate that flow on so many levels where not every musician does, 
right? A lot of them get a lot of blocks, a lot of writer's block, or just they're not able to hear the melody coming through clearly, or they're not able to get the mix just right. And it's because they're, they're so attached. They're so just like stuck on the artistic process. But when they've got that spiritual component that you've got behind it, like when you are engaging in a flow on every level of your life where you're letting the divine flow through you, you're letting the words flow through you, you're letting the music flow through you. Um, I can only imagine that the process must be filled with ease and grace. It comes with difficulties, but you embrace them as opposed to feel shame or frustration yes. all the time. And I think every time something comes up inside of me, um, just like yoga, I love, you know, you and your partner, share yoga and Anton's such an amazing instructor and it's like going being in class it's so profound because you know it's not about having the most perfect posture it's about you know I'm where I'm at and let's say I'm in pigeon and it's like can I be with the fact that I'm feeling this really deep pain in my hip when I'm in pigeon can I breathe into that feeling can I find union which is what yoga means like union so every time the challenge comes can I find the breathing into it and the acceptance and the experience versus like judging it or labeling it as something negative. And like I was alluding to earlier, I love Rumi. He's probably one of my biggest mentors and teachers ever. He says out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. And to me, that quote like blew my mind as I began to dissect it. But ultimately what I got to is that he's saying be in the emptiness, be in the openness, be in the blank canvas, be in the unconditional love, beyond the labels and judgments of good and bad and right and wrong, which we're constantly doing as people and as artists. We're constantly judging ourselves, comparing ourselves, making something wrong or bad. And I think that um, when we practice, I think the ideology of good and bad is a spell that we've cast on ourselves as humanity that creates separation. And I feel like when we come into a space of not condoning negative or malicious things, but realizing things are just either in alignment or out of alignment. Because if we make something bad, then we think it's always gonna be bad. But let's say something is out of alignment. If a company's polluting the environment and they're doing something harmful, they can, can, you know, they can amend their mistakes, they can change their ways, they can shift their values, they can change their CEO, they can go from out of alignment to in alignment. And it may take some time, it may take a process, but it's like, you're, they're not forever cast as bad. And I feel like we're always doing that to ourselves. We're always making ourselves wrong and bad. And that's why we're really hindering our full expression because we're kind of casting this spell on ourselves, which to me, I've been doing my best to break out of for a long time. Yeah, I'm, uh, I definitely feel that. I'm, uh, as Amy said, we're in the middle of this watery season right now and I have been feeling all of the emotions. My partner and I just moved into a new place transitioning out of an old and you know feeling frustration with our old landlord our current landlord just like everything that's kind of happening and for me to be able to acknowledge that anger is as much of a anger is not evil it's still it's just an emotion that we all are naturally going to feel and ignoring it or avoiding it is not necessarily going to be beneficial for us or anybody else that we're interacting with it's just as an artist the same thing how do you take that anger and turn it into something that is going to be positive or influential for for other people that could you know have a, a better impact than you getting pissed off and punching a wall you know exactly like you know it's like what we say and how we say it are just as important and i feel right. like anger is showing up for anyone in their field can they a lot of people have anger challenges and i feel like to me, what's helped me is acknowledging, like shame has been a major 
thing that's come up in my life over and over and over again because I had so much identity issues and racial issues with people that were putting me down when I was a kid. And so much came up from that that I chose in this body. And I, I've learned to say shame is my teacher. Like if I had to say, well, what's been my biggest teacher in 2020, I would say shame. And giving it that, that sense of I'm learning from this emotion versus I'm resisting it or pushing it away. And I feel like that's just what works for me. That allows me to build a relationship with this emotion. Because I think you know, the difficult emotions come because they're actually teaching us the exact opposite in the spectrum. And so for me, the exact opposite of shame is celebration. That, that's what resonates with me, like celebrating myself, celebrating others. And so I feel like shame has come into my life so I can learn to celebrate myself and celebrate others. And so I feel like that's the thing I share with my coaching work is like tune into what it is you're feeling. Let's say if it's anger, okay, what's the opposite of anger for you? Like maybe it's coming to teach you the opposite, but you have to embrace it in your home. You can't keep resisting it and pushing it away. It'll just keep showing right. up. Right. Being able to name it is incredibly, is incredibly powerful too. Again, it's like knowing what it is that you feel. We, I feel like we, we have been kind of groomed to feel like we're, we don't have a lot of power, like we're whatever it's politics, it's whatever you want to, people can blame. Um, but it's also because we don't know what it is that we are feeling. You know, you can't, you have to acknowledge it and you have to also kind of be like, well, shame feels different for me than it might feel for somebody else, you know? So being able to, even if it's not words to it, being able to say, and I, I'm an air, I'm an air sign. So I spend a lot of time in my head and I say, I think a lot instead of saying I feel, and I'm trying to get more into, I feel, I, this is how I feel about this, you know, and that helps me by, by feeling into it. It helps me to actually put words to it, to at least explain my experience. It doesn't have to resonate for anybody else, but at least as long as I can understand it, it's like, all right, this is, this is why this is happening for me. And I can kind of see that in other people as well. Like, I've been a big fan of horoscopes my entire life. So being able to have at least a basic idea of what it is that some, how somebody's approaching a situation, it's like, I'm not judging you off of this, but it makes a lot more sense to me that you're an air sign, that, you know, and that you're doing this thing over and over again where you're doing this constant loop instead of like stopping, taking a breath and grounding into whatever is actually happening, you know? I feel that I'm an air sign too, I'm the last day of Gemini, so. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it's a really powerful thing, yeah, just being able to be okay with whatever we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. it, that to me is a everyday practice, like whatever comes up, be okay with it. And I think sometimes it's in true acceptance with condonement. You know, we, we think we can't accept what we feel because we're condoning the pain around the feeling or the experience, like if it's a relationship thing, or breakup or a money issue, we think we're condoning the pain by accepting it, but we have to realize those are two separate things in my opinion, like finding acceptance of what fairly meaning I'm condoning what is. We got a yeah. caller? Yeah. <laughs> he jumps, he's, he's bilocating. He's just going in and out <laughs> of different transmissions, different timelines, it's fine. Um, I love that, yeah, being able to shift the way that it's working. Is that something that you discovered through like Vipassana or was it more the work that you were doing with the kids? Like, was it both? All, all, all the above. Yeah. I mean, I did Vipassana twice. That was a really profound experience for me to just immerse myself into the practice. And for those who don't know, you know, it's a 10 day silent meditation retreat where you're basically checking in your phone, your, your books, your social media, you check your ID and your money. Like you're just basically, in the nature meditating for like 10 hours a day in hour increments and and it's really powerful work i mean honestly there's probably nothing i've done more powerful than vipassana and it had such a profound impact on me um i've also done like landmark and i've also 
been a member of Agape for over 15 years in Los Angeles with Michael Beckwith. And of course, is doing the social services stuff for nearly 10 years. Like there's been a lot of different trainings I've done that have prepared me to be who I am today. And I feel like they're definitely, I take a little bit from all the different things I've learned to share these ideals. Yeah, they just build and build. And I, oh, so, okay, let's jump into some of the music things that are built on those ideas. Uh, the first two songs I ever heard of yours were uh, Sacred and Presence. Mm -hmm. And um, they were, well, I should say of yours personally, because I heard Luminaries like way before that. <laughs> and um, just a guy that I was briefly dating was like, have you not heard of this? How have you not heard of this Miss Yoga person? whatever and he was like blasting it in his car I was like this is amazing like really sacred lyrics with a really cool beat it's not uh the usual like Ram Dass kind of la, la, la stuff yeah. but you've been able to blend that like the the song sacred with Borangui I love him on his own anyway but uh the way that you've like woven the melodies with these really deep powerful lyrics of every single thing you do mm. like put intention to it recognize the divine within it and it's what you talked about earlier that discovery that you had of the omnipresence of god within and without mm. and i i'm like curious how because i know like the artists that you work with are probably really on the same page like how do you guys go about that creative process do you sit down and like chant mantras together do you like what do you do <laughs> Yeah, you know, a lot of my solo stuff, let's start with that, I would say. Um, I, I, the first Luminaries album, I wrote a lot of the hooks for the album, um, and not all of them. It was definitely collaborative effort with the music and the lyrics, and all the rappers wrote their own lyrical parts. Um, but a lot of the, like, Be the Change and Peace and stuff like that and Show the World, like, I wrote those hooks, and they just channeled through. I mean, at a time where I was listening deeply and going through Vipassana, I was creating a space to allow the universe to reveal these things inside of me. And I feel like it's just kind of been a never expanding flow of that. And I feel um, like sometimes songs like Sacred, they might, that, that song took like two or three years to make, like believe it or not, to write it and then like, you know, go in the studio and then like get all the mixes done and then like shoot the video. It was a long process. And then sometimes like, I feel like I went in with presents and I did that in like two days or something. Like, oh my goodness. The energy of a song of where, how long it's going to take. I mean, there's songs, that are unreleased by myself and Luminaries that have still not even out that hopefully we'll see the light of day soon. But I feel like you never know the destiny because every time we create a song, I feel like it has its own destiny and its own um, intention and it's it's becoming its own being. It's not like every baby does. I mean, I'm a yeah. father, my son is a 12 and he's like, I'm not going this way this weekend. And you can go there and he's making his own choices now. So I feel songs are the same way. And, uh, but ultimately, there is an emptying, there is a, for me, connecting to an emotion and, and finding that space of like, like when I wrote Sacred, I was actually with Kate Pearl, the singer, and we were in Sedona, and we were walking through this very private, sacred, secret, um, like, river that's not necessarily accessible by a lot of people in the public, and the words just started coming through me while I'm walking through the river, and she started playing the guitar, and it was like a freestyle initially, and so... I kind of built upon that and then it became this song later, but just really tuning in, whether it's in the moment or in the studio, can I really connect with an emotion around the idea and just fully allow myself like an actor to become this emotion through lyrics. Mm. 
that's like, yeah. <laughs> my brain is like, oh, Sedona, <laughs> magic that's in there. Um, it's, I, I love the music video that you guys created because exactly what you described is what you guys shared, like what, what's seen. Um, and that's so beautiful. I'm so grateful that you gave that gift to the world. And, um, and the other gift we were talking about just before we started recording was I can breathe. And yeah. I, I'm so amazed at how quickly you guys made that because you must've done that like overnight. <laughs> well, that's, that's a really great example too. So Kyoshi's a, a beautiful brother and friend of mine and he's also a Gemini. He's the beginning of the cycle, the 23rd or fourth or something like that. And I'm the last okay. day. And so we've always had a really beautiful connection because they're both the same sign and we have a very similar affinity and ideology and obviously message. And when all the things were happening with the protests and all the um, things were coming up inside of me, like a lot of old wounds came up for me and a lot of times and memories that were processing and for me as a young person going through racial trauma with people. And I feel like a lot of people feel the same way. Like people don't grasp it if you've never, if they've never gone through like being put down in a really um, demeaning way. But I feel like a lot of people were triggered when all this stuff is happening because because of COVID, we've all been with ourselves and we've all been sitting with our emotions. And so when the protest happened, it was like, I need to express what I'm feeling. And so, um, you know, I reached out to Kyoshi, I'm like, yo man, we should get together and create something regarding how we're feeling as African-American men in context of what's happening in the world. So we literally got together and we just in one day made that song over Taz Rashid's beat, amazing producer in the yoga community as well. Yeah. And um, it just became what it was. And we wanted to acknowledge what we were feeling and what people were feeling. So, you know, in some of the lyrics, we're talking about police brutality, we're talking about injustice. Then we wanted to have the balance in making the song, the hook be something more affirmative. Um, because this year has been about so much topics about not being able to breathe, whether it's the COVID and the mask, the Amazon rainforest were burning and the lungs of the earth were, you know, in trouble. And then of course, I can't breathe became a mantra in context of the social justice movement. So we're like, yo, let's acknowledge the pain. Let's not dismiss it or bypass it, but let's add the intention and mantra that I can breathe as an empowering statement. So we felt like the song came off in a very balanced way. Yes. Uh, I, like, I remember the day you guys released it. I was like, Jeremy, Jeremy, this is what we were talking about. This is the spell. This is like, everybody's been saying this spell. Oh my God, finally someone's singing it. Like I can, I am breathing. I'm breathing right now. And the earth herself is breathing. And yeah, she may be crying. Yeah, she may be screaming with her fires, but she's breathing. Um, and Australia too was completely on fire. Like so, so much yeah. of the world right now is saying, pay attention, pay attention. Mm. Uh, and I, I am grateful that the two of you were able to weave in, just like you said before with the coaching, where you, you find the points in your life that are really glaring at you, like the sharing and the, uh, of the shaming and whatever anger or guilt or things that are coming up and using that to acknowledge where you're coming from, but then transmute it and transform it and shift it into something. Absolutely, and by the way, that video for that song is coming out soon. Like we're just, there's some things behind the scenes being worked out. So maybe by the time this podcast drops, that may be out. Hopefully it's out now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a practice of 
it's funny because my the theme of my coaching is discover your sacred offering and oftentimes people come in with the intention oh, i can't wait to fully express myself. and of course that's a part of the practice we do eight sessions and i do you know online workshops and stuff too but uh oftentimes we begin in the space of like jeremy we were talking about we have to acknowledge the blocks like what is actually hindering the individual from being fully expressed and oftentimes that goes back to childhood stuff old wounds old trauma old programs agreements and um you know that are things that are inhibiting someone from really sharing their their gift whatever that is so a lot of it is kind of building a different relationship and perspective around some of the difficult emotions and experiences that we've got, all gone through with that coaching do you work on like affirmations as mantras almost for the the clients that you have of like these are the things to really say to yourself a part of the experience i'll do um spoiler alert is like <laughs> we'll go into we'll go and there's an exercise i do where we'll go into some specific experience where someone's gone through some trauma and we'll gently walk through that experience and acknowledge what it brought up for the person and then create like a new way of being or a mantra around that exact experience because oftentimes when we're young we don't have the tools that we have now as adults to navigate through those old pains so when i was young and some some kid called me the n-word and it like broke my heart and got me in this rageful space i got into a fight and my dad just died a month before i, I didn't have the tools as as an 11 year old kid to fully heal that version of myself and so as time went on like I grew into having those tools, but that's that 11 year old that went through that experience in that moment didn't fully resolve that feeling. So being able to kind of time travel and go back and put some presencing to that exact moment and helping others do the same thing is so profound because whatever comes out of that in the context of affirmation is literally like a new presencing and a new way of being from that old shitty thing that happened to somebody or a difficult thing rather not shitty but even though shit's fertilizer that grows flowers but you feel me and yeah and Kali. that <laughs> is like the mirror work you know like using that affirmation and and looking at oneself and really doing the mirror work around that because i feel like finding that physical representation through looking at oneself is a really powerful tool as well it can definitely be hard to acknowledge what it is that you're good at a lot of the times as well like kind of just what we're talking about with the the things that are disempowering for us not acknowledging that we maybe actually have a good voice or like you like you said like get, being at a young age sharing something and then either having people put you down for it or just you know and that's usually what it is it's usually jealousy if anybody's putting you down for any reason it's kind of like why are you why do you feel like you're special it's like because i made this and i want to share it you know this is my self object whatever the thing is that you're putting out there so that's that's all that's awesome i just wanted to throw that on there <laughs> definitely. i feel that yeah it's definitely it's powerful work we're all doing there now, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just with, uh, with kids nowadays too, like your, your song Purple, you talk a lot about indigo children, like the, just like kids in the, 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 this current generation. Again, I grew up listening to Tupac and, and Dr. Dre, like came up with a lot, of, uh, a lot more gangster rap. Um, do you think that they're a little more aware like, because kids are very aware, they're very present. Do you think they're more aware of what's actually happening nowadays and that they're not going to have to do a lot of the work that we as adults are doing where we're having to kind of make up for a lot of our own karma and our current life? Well, um, it's interesting because I, I grew up listening to Tupac too. I, I love Tupac. He's probably my mm. favorite rapper 
of all time. And it's funny because like he's a Gemini too. And mm-hmm. you know, he's like, such a perfect example of the Gemini polarity, which I'm so grateful that I was given this archetype in this lifetime. To me, they're all just archetypes that teach we we mean we're all under the stars. So all the mm-hmm. all signs are really in all of us. But of course we have maybe a resonance to our sun sign or our moon sign or our, our rising sign. But uh Tupac was hella hard, you know, he was gangster, he was militant, and he was in that thug life vibe. But then there was parts of him that were so like sensitive and like, you know, he wrote songs like Brenda's Got a Baby or Unconditional Love or Change. Dear Mama. Dear Mama was a song yeah. that literally when I heard that, that was literally one of the first seven CDs that I ever owned. I had the mm-hmm. Columbia House, they give you seven CDs, you buy one a month or something. Mm-hmm. And I heard Dear Mama and it was like, that song inspired me to write lyrics, like literally. That, that song's like, I want to share my voice because I never knew that hip hop can be like such an inspirational tool. Like I only perceived hip hop like kind of more for fun. It was a fun thing. We dance and vibe out to it. But when I heard Dear Mama, I was like, wow, like this is a powerful tool to help me and others feel something. So, um, you know, I feel like Music is just a powerful, powerful tool. There's going to be people that express in a more kind of mainstream way. And sometimes I got, I got to rock to some trap music and just get down to some bass mm-hmm. music, just fucking feel that shit. And then there's, you know, as an artist, I just feel into my expression, what's authentic for me? You know, I feel, you know, that's what we're all trying to do. It doesn't matter if it's music or art or being a teacher or a coach, no matter the form of expression, I feel like we're all doing our best to come into resonance with what is our true authenticity. And how can I show up and share that? And oftentimes it just comes back to our story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all clearing karma at, at, at every step of the way anyways, right? <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah. And generations of it. I, yeah. Like, I, I'm loving the fact that my kids have someone like you as an artist where we can say, do you want to listen to this? And they're like, yeah, I want to listen to my Crystal Kids album. (laughs) And they're listening to like all these different songs that were made by people who are intentionally trying to activate the different parts of someone. There's like lyrics like, my energy flows where my attention goes or, you know, other little nuggets of wisdom that are hidden within that. And um, I'm curious, like how often those things like just flow through you and how often you're like, oh, that'd be a fun little rhyme that I could make. Yeah, I think I think it's like, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, for me, it's just connecting to like the emotion is like most as a songwriter. Um, it's almost like a trance, you know, when I'm at the studio or I'm at home and I'm feeling something it usually starts with me connecting with the emotion and then the lyrics just flow. And then oftentimes it can be me writing five verses and only choosing one, or maybe choosing a couple lines from each of the different verses and then making it into a new one, but then having the acceptance of that whole process. Like there's oftentimes where I'll do a mix of a song and I'll be like, cool, this is where it's at today. I don't need to overexert myself. And then just be okay with where it's at. And then like have the strength to go back and try something different. Like there was one time for a song that's coming out, I rapped this whole song and I was like, this is dope. But I kind of had an inclination of what if I sang all the lyrics instead of rapped them? And I went back and literally recorded the whole song singing. And then I heard it for like a couple days and I was like, nah, it sounds better rapped. 
And I, but I was so thankful that I gave myself the space just to try it and not judge myself like I used to. And I feel like that's such a great analogy for life. Can we just be okay with trying things? Like I think, you know, Jeremy said at the beginning without the expectation of the outcome and just know that that process actually helped my voice open up. That process made me feel like I'll never have the regret of what if I tried it that way? Cause I did try it that way and it didn't align, but at least I gave myself the space to try. And I feel like there's something about that for me that I think is really profound that I love sharing with artists. Just be okay with the process. Like there's no rush to putting out a masterpiece, you know? Like, it's just a, every day can be a brush stroke to create your masterpiece. I love that so much. Yes, that's like the perfect analogy for everyone who's just maybe starting on the path of spiritual discovery, I think is the best way to put it. Um, non-attachment to the outcome enjoyment of the process releasing all expectation like all of those things right there you just hit it like this is how you find god (laughs) this is how you do magic right you're if if someone i've had people be like can you cast a spell for me and i'm like okay let's uh just change your worldview how about that (laughs) because there's i i'm not going to to work magic in someone's life if they're not willing to change or see themselves for who they are. Um, Mm -hmm. I can maybe coach them in finding that magic for themselves. So I love that you are coaching people to see those inner truths and to incorporate them as tools. And um, you mentioned like finding some tools earlier and some tools that your your maybe 11 year old self didn't have. Like what would you say are, are the top ones that you have used for like the longest amount of time? Is it just like sitting meditation? Is it those kinds of things? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, definitely affirmation has been a powerful tool for me. Um, I feel like going to Agape and, and being mentored under Michael Beckwith um, really helped me to understand the power of affirmation and prayer and realizing that prayer isn't just about asking for something. Like prayer is a sense, it's like a, it's a practice in itself to amplify the vibration of gratitude of what is. It's not just like, oh, I'm coming to ask for something I need as if I'm in lack. It's actually a practice of me tuning and communing with source and realizing that in my vibratory frequency, I can find this deeper reverence for what already is. And in that space of being full, I'm actually attracting more of what I already am versus like something is, I need to get something to make me complete. So kind of reversing my understanding of what prayer really is, was really powerful and affirmations in the mirror. I used to post affirmations on my wall, like literally like poster boards and like pieces of paper of things I wrote for myself and every morning say them. But now I just kind of do them. I don't have them all over my wall. And then yeah, meditation, yoga has been really powerful. Um, you know, shout out to Govindas in LA. He's one of my favorite yoga teachers, um, if not my favorite, because I just vibrate with his frequency and Bhakti Yoga Shala. And I just feel like he would teach this yin class. And I feel like I was a very, you know, in tune with my young expressive rapper archetype. And it was like, no, I need some feminine energy. Let me go to this yin class and really tap into my yin. And he would teach it. And it was such a beautiful thing for me. So there's so many tools, you know, breath work is powerful. I just started playing the flute and I feel like wow, I'm tapping I get my, in my, into my breath and my air sign. So we got to kind of tune in and see what resonates with us, but try everything y'all Kundalini yoga, hip-hop class, dance, ecstatic dance, whatever, like try all these things and see what feels aligned. 
Yeah, could you talk more to the ecstatic dance uh, side of what you do? Because I didn't know that until I was reading. I was like, holy cow, that's something that like, if I had known about, I would have dove into with you a lot sooner because I love ecstatic dance. You know what's funny, Amy, is that like, I've been throwing events for like 17 years. And for such a long time, I was like, oh, I'm going to start DJing next year. Like, I, so I always book DJs. And like years and years and years, like 10, 15 years pass to the point where I literally like three years ago was, um, it was New Year's Eve and I was in LA. I was actually in a Bakhti temple on New Year's Eve. And I was like, you know what? I just have the intuition that I just need to buy the gear and just commit. And when I did that the next week, I just bought the gear, I bought the controller, I bought the software, I bought the headphones, I bought all the little wires and stuff. And I just taught myself on YouTube. And within a year I was getting booked to do ecstatic dance and play in, in all the events. I started booking myself for my own events. And now I'm like one of a handful of, I believe, I haven't seen that many, I'm sure there are some that I don't know, but there's not that many African-American men that DJ ecstatic dance. And I'm really honored to show up and bring like such diversity to the music I share. Cause I feel like I want to be an ambassador of diversity when I'm doing ecstatic dance. I'm bringing African music and Latin music and tribal music and world music and some bass music and trap and like blending it all together. And I feel like my favorite part of ecstatic dance DJing is actually the down moments, you know, the down tempo meditative. Cause when you bring someone up to this ecstatic place and then I play some Sade out of nowhere or some like really inspirational uh, in instrumental that, and seeing someone just cry is like, to me, like everything. And uh, I love it. I love being an ambassador for DJing. And it's funny because now I get booked to, before COVID, I was getting booked to DJ more than even my live shows. <laughs> so it's funny how things work out. I love excited dance. So shout it out to you. It is crazy. I, I'm like so ready for more things to open to have experiences like that again. Like if you decide to do, um, because I know with ecstatic dance, you, you're feeding off of what you're seeing, right? You're, you're not just, you don't have like a completely set playlist, right? Or, or is everything planned ahead of time and you're just... Oh, everything I do, I mean, I'm very keen now with the songs in my, in my catalog, but everything I do is in the moment spontaneous. Yeah. Like, I never plan my sets. I just, I just have more fun doing it that way. So I was going to say, it'd be so fun if you did something where like people could tune in and and have you doing that experience, but it'd be really hard to watch everybody. Like it'd have to be some kind of crazy Zoom webinar where you've got like 10 screens to see how people are responding to what you're playing. And it would, there'd be a really bad lag time. But yeah, when stuff opens up, I'm there. <laughs> I'm down. Sherry, um, do you have anything else you want to ask? We're almost at time. Not that I can get to, because I wrote notes on my phone, of course. Hold on, let me check and see. I think we covered everything. I did uh, Katie Pearl and Parangi, Shyla Ray. Oh, yeah, your influences. I did want to ask you about that. We, uh, we, we touched on rap. Um, you can definitely hear a lot of gospel and some uh, R&B influences in some of your, um, some of your tunes. What are, who are some of your favorite artists? What's, uh, what's some of your favorite music that you can kind of pull in? Because you definitely have a, you have a very eclectic vibe. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, like I mentioned, I love Rumi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Rumi's yeah. a huge inspiration for me. Um, also, musically, Bob Marley is probably my favorite artist of all time. Tupac, my favorite rapper of all time. My favorite singer is Sade. 
Um, and as an MC, I, I grew up listening to like Common and Most Def and Talib Kweli and Nas and KRS-One and, uh, you know, a little bit of Freestyle Fellowship. There's been a, a lot of amazing, amazing hip hop artists I love, but I, I'm definitely multifaceted in context of my music. I, I love Sade, like she's just like, I've never seen her live, but it's like one of my dreams to, to meet her and go to a show and catch her vibe. And so I'm trusting that. You know, she kind of always is very elusive and shows up every seven to 10 years, but her music really inspired me on the, on the feminine facet of myself to just tap into that deep emotional space. Awesome. And you said um, Michael Beckwith and Govindas and Landmark. Um, is there anybody else that you were like, okay, if you're just getting started with some of this stuff, like that you would say this person, this book or anything like that? Well, it's interesting that you say that because actually my niece just graduated high school and uh, I just ordered her The Alchemist, The Power of Now, um, The Prophet, and The Four Agreements. And I feel like there's a couple other ones that are maybe in that same vein, but I, I, I did the same thing for my nephew maybe a long time ago, 15 years ago, and I gave him my, my books. Like he graduated high school and I was like, let me give him these exact four books. I was like, I was like that would be a great thing to repeat for her. She just graduated. And I, and I feel like, um, yeah, those are really some powerful books and that comes to mind. I think I, I <laughs> must've been channeling you because I saw the power of now on my bookshelf when I set my water bottle down there earlier today. And I was like, I need to pick that back up. I was thinking about the alchemist yesterday. Someone was asking about four agreements the day before. <laughs> yeah. like, they're all in the field right now. So I love that you said those. Those are like, yeah, near and dear. They and of course, for sure. And of course, Michael Beckwith, major mentor and influence in my life, Agape Online, agapelive.com. There's still streaming services every Sunday. They have an amazing archives of all the services. And like immersing myself in that community is such a still a pillar in my nourishment for my soul. And I recommend that to anybody who's looking for just community and connection with, with, with Source. And awesome. what I was going to say one last thing, Jared. Uh, are there any mantras that are Sanskrit that you like? Because we do talk about those a lot. Um, um, Om Namo Guru Dev Namo. That's a good one. Uh, That's always a good one. Um, there might be some other ones. I'm kind of blanking in the moment. Like, but I love Ganesh a lot. Ganesh is the homie. Yeah, Jai Ganesh. <laughs> There's some Ganesh mantras that I feel like I, I like a lot. Um, awesome. Yeah. Those, I mean, <laughs> we're like junkies of mantras. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. But uh, Om Namo, I, yeah, I, I think I start every practice with Om Guru, Devi Deva. And that's just like, if I'm going to do yoga by myself, it starts with those words you know another one i really love is the debbie prayer have you heard that i'll send you a link to this this song it's like constantly i feel that's this, the debbie prayer it's like you know mantra the goddess it's really profound uh i don't know the origin of that but i just love that do you do you feel like sharing <laughs> live no oh i'll share my mantras okay you want me to share some yeah okay um, 
We are invincible, insurmountable, unequivocal, metaphysical, lyrical. We are so imperial, unstoppable, cherish your life. It's a miracle. Dedicated, giving your life to the spiritual. We are removable beyond what is beautiful. The usual will never suffice for what is suitable. Humanity will only unite when we choose to ignite our brilliant light because we're Jedi Knights holding a lightsaber. Only God grants favors for the favorites who really learn to love thy neighbor. Sharp like razors, these flows touch the edge of being alive and ending up dead. You see, it's a very thin line between your false mind. You are everything and nothing at the very same time. You are literally, physically, everything is energy, everyone and anyone who ever was or ever be. This is fundamentally the interwoven chemistry, the tapestry of life, and we're all tapping in to our abilities. So open up the lotus of the opus that we can all oversee because we are the painters and we create our reality. Mm, and our clock just went off. Solid. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's beautiful. Five, five, five. <laughs> like you finished that at five, yeah. five, five. <laughs> Holy all yeah. that is. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That was Praise such be. a Jay beautiful Brave. blessing. Yes. <gasps> Thank, Thank you, you for your time, so brother. That was amazing. Yeah. And thank you. Go ahead. I was going to say just uh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for letting the divine flow through you every day, this day and every day. And I'm so, so grateful that you shared your time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both for having me. Super honored to be here. For everyone listening, please check on me on Instagram. It's probably the best place, jbrave1. Uh, I do workshops online every single month. I do coaching, uh, music on Spotify. Um, please message me if you've been inspired by this experience. I'd love to connect with you and really honored to be in service with both of you. Uh, yes, I will have in the show notes links to your website uh, for if they want to start coaching, which you should. Um, links to the Instagram and to Spotify so they can jump straight to your beautiful, beautiful work. Thank you. Yeah. Bless you.